All right, we're starting in Ruth chapter 2 today. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favour. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they may be reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground. She said to him, Why have I found favour in your eyes, and you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered her, All that I... All that have done for you in your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to people that you did not know before the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward will be given to you by the Lord the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge then she said I have found favor in your eyes my Lord that you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some of the bread, and dip your morsel in the wine. Then she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and then she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaths, and do not reproach her. And also put some other from the bundles to have leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until morning. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave what food she had left over, after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said, Where did you glean today? And what have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with what, whom she had worked and said, The man's name to whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, 
Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all the harvest, all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Well, I'm going to start this morning with a confession, and that is that I found this sermon hard to write. And that's for a couple of reasons. So when we write sermons at our church, or most other churches, or anyone who's read uh, Brian Chapel or Haddon Robertson on how to preach a sermon, we look for something in the text called a fallen condition focus. And if you listen to sermons in the future at Amaze Road, keep an eye out for this thing. Because what this is, is we look at a passage and we say, what is this passage saying about the human condition that is fallen, that applies to all people at all times in all places? And there's a lot of sin in humanity, and that's usually pretty easy to find. When Paul says, flee from sexual immorality, well, that's because we're prone to sexual immorality and we need to flee from that. But in this story, we have a bunch of people doing the right thing seemingly over and over again. And it's hard to find, maybe, maybe Ruth didn't ask exactly right to glean in the field. Is that what's wrong with, with humankind in this? So that's the first reason. And particularly in light of the first chapter where everyone is doing the wrong thing. They're leaving God's people. They're leaving God's place. They're not trusting God. They're marrying foreign women. And this is the... This is the anti-chapter one as we work through, you'll see that. The second, the second reason I found this hard is because I actually ended up identifying what's wrong with the human condition in this, and it's wrong in me, and I was convicted by it, and it took me two days to go back to sermon writing. <laughs> so this morning, we're going to work through Ruth chapter two. I'm not going to have you know, three main points with five subheadings under each point, but we're just going to work through the narrative. And I want us to be proactively thinking as these events play out, what is motivating each of these characters' decisions throughout the story? What do they believe that is driving them to, be to behave the way they're behaving? So I want you to keep an eye out for that. And I also want you to keep an eye out for God's providential mercy for his people and through his people. So here's, here's the rough outline of what we're doing this morning. A plan, God's providence, provision, a response of praise, and then a plea, and the respective verses up there. So just a reminder for those of us who weren't here, and who maybe missed anything that Josh said, this is in the time of the judges. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. And we meet a man in chapter 1 named Elimelech, or Elimelech, who's doing what's right in his own eyes. There's a famine, so he says, I don't know if I can trust this God guy. I'm going away to these foreigners, to these people who don't follow the Lord, and I'm going to go try food over there. And that leads to his death. His kids then marry foreign, foreign wives. His kids then die, and we're left with a widow and two widowed daughters. And then all of a sudden, there's food back again in Bethlehem. So they head back. Naomi says, no daughters, go back to your people, go back to your gods. One of the daughters says, all right, 
The other one says, no, no, I love you. I'm going to be your daughter. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And that's Ruth who says that. So it's a bit of a depressing chapter, chapter one, but we get this glimmer of hope and we get this beautiful picture of someone willing to abandon their family, abandon everything to go and be obedient to Yahweh. To Yahweh? To Yahweh. <laughs> That's Hebrew, Yavah. So, a plan. I don't know if I need to read through all of these word for word because we just read through it and the text will be in the screen. But basically, we're introduced to Boaz here, who's a relative of Naomi, who's a worthy man. And something I missed the first five times probably reading through this book was that we're introduced to Boaz here, the, the, the author introduces us, but the characters don't know yet. So keep that in mind. We're introduced to Boaz, who's a good, worthy, honorable dude. And we'll see why he's worthy as the story progresses. Introduced, and then pivot back to Ruth and Naomi's house. And Ruth says, can I go into the fields and can I, can I glean among the ears of grain? I just realized that my slides were in my notes, but they're not anymore. So excuse me if I have to keep pivoting and I can't see that screen. So she's unaware of Boaz, but she's going out to Lord willing, find favor in somebody's sight. And see the juxtaposition here between Ruth being in Bethlehem at the beginning of this chapter, who's hungry and needs food, and Elimelech at the beginning in chapter one. Both living with Naomi, presumably, both short of food. One is going out to trust God's good laws and his provisions, as we saw in Leviticus, that God will provide her daily bread. And I think that's timely, because we've been looking at Matthew chapter six and the Lord's Prayer the last couple of weeks. She's going out in faith that the Lord will provide her daily bread. So, Naomi permits. And again, put yourself in Ruth's shoes here for a second. She's poor, she's hungry, she's a widow, she's living in a foreign land, her husband's dead, her sister's back in Moaz, her husband's dead, the only family we've got is this cranky widow who says, no, no, call me, call me bitter. And yet she's faithfully, honorably saying, hey, why don't I go out and try and get us some food? So, providence. She set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Ruth goes out, some random field, sees the boundary stones that we just saw in those slides, and it's like, that one, sure. And it happens to be the field of this worthy, honorable relative named Boaz, who she'd never heard of up until this point. And I want you to see here that this is not just a wild, random coincidence. As Christians... We believe there is no such thing. All things are within the loving, providential, merciful hands of our good God. This verse immediately springs to mind for me as I read this, which is Matthew 10, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground 
as apart from your father, which is Jesus telling his disciples to take courage and not have fear. And he's saying, the most random event, a bird dying somewhere, somewhere, another bird being sold, that is all, with, un, all within the providential hand of a loving heavenly father. And scripture is saturated with this theme of God's providence. I've got like 20 verses here that talk about whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Are you not the God of heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms. No one is able to withstand you. Look, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The plans of the heart belong to men, but the tongue, the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Many are the plans of, of, in the mind of a man, but its purpose, but the purpose of the, it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. One of our favorites. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. In the hand of the Lord, he turns it wherever he wills. And our very own London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 5, paragraph 1, articulates it like this. God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things, from the greatest to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, to the end for which they were created. According to his infallible foreknowledge, and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. That's the God that we get revealed to us in the Bible. So as we read chapter 2, verse 3, she happens to go into the field of this guy named Boaz. I want you to, to know it's not a coincidence. And I want you to know that every single minute event of your life is in the providential hand of a good God. I started tearing off. I'm going to do it again. As I was writing this, because I, I know you guys. I love you guys. I know what's happening in your lives at the moment. And it's not that these are just happening randomly. God is sovereign. He's good. He cares. We'll see this unfold, that God is orchestrating these circumstances for Ruth. And Ruth doesn't know it yet. She is just in a random field at a random time. We're starting to put together the pieces because the author of this story is giving us bits and pieces about Boaz. And maybe you're up to here in the story. Maybe you're where Ruth's at. Maybe you're just faithful, obedient, proverbially widowed and hungry and poor. But God is sovereign and he's working all things out for your good, for his glory. He's orchestrating all things. He is literally guiding your steps. Take courage. Boaz comes out from Bethlehem at this point, and he says to the reapers, the Lord be with you, which we should start doing at the beginning of every church service, I reckon. And they answered, and they answered, there you go, audience participation for you. 
Again, I think the narrator of the story is highlighting Boaz as a worthy man, a follower of Yahweh, someone who trusts in the Lord. Again, emphasizing his wealth. He's got a field. He's got workers. And he sees this young woman. And he says, who's this? I don't remember hiring her. And the worker replies, she's the young Moabite woman who came back from Naomi, uh, who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. So we, at the end of chapter one, we heard that they came back and they caught a bit of a stir. So at this point, the worker saying, oh yeah, this is, this is that one that everyone's been talking about. And she came out and she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. We see Naomi comes and asks for permission. She says, please, kids. <laughs> Reuben. <laughs> and she's got some idea of the law. She knows about presumably Leviticus chapter 25, where there's actually provisions for her to go and glean and find food. And she doesn't act entitled. She doesn't rock up and say, yep, uh, just a number, uh, Leviticus 25 case. Should I just start this side and work my way through? No, she's, she's got a humble posture. And then she works hard. Now, I asked at the beginning, what's driving the actions of these people? Think about Ruth here for a minute. What does she believe? Does she believe she's entitled? Does she believe everything's just going to fall into her lap? Does she believe that if she is obedient to what Yahweh has said, He will provide? I think the latter. What circumstances are you in right now? What do you believe? Is there a disparity between what you believe and how you live? As I was preparing this, I was convicted and confronted that oftentimes my present actions don't actually indicate what I say I believe. Even my emotions are not often indicative of the truth of God's word, the truth we profess. The truth is members we literally sign on a piece of paper. If your present actions aren't an indicator of your beliefs, why not? The story continues with a beautiful act of providence. And Boaz turns from his servant to Ruth. He says, listen, my daughter, stay here. Don't go to another field. Keep close to my young women. Keep in this field. I've charged the young men not to touch you. If you're thirsty, go to the vessels. They've already drawn water. Boaz's, Boaz's? Boaz <laughs> offers Ruth his protection and his care. And he goes above and beyond the law. There's explicit requirements, as we saw. Is he upholding those? Yes or no? Yeah, he's caring for the poor. He's, he's letting them glean. Is he going above and beyond? Way above and beyond. 
Why? I think he believes God's laws are good. He's not trying to just tick boxes. He gets the spirit of the law. And this is so contrasted with the rest of what's happening at this time in the events where everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. Boaz is thinking to do what is right in the Lord's eyes, which he knows is a better way to live. And I want you to know, it's a better way to live. God's laws aren't arbitrary. They're for our good. And they're for his glory. Boaz, again, I'm dissecting what is driving these actions, but I think Boaz here knows that he has been blessed to bless others. He knows everything he has is a gift from the Lord, and he's seeking to use that for the Lord's glory. Blessed to be a blessing. Do you gravitate towards the same posture as Boaz? Do you realize everything in your life, whether it be great or little, is a gift from the Lord? Or are you just trying to do the bare minimum, bare minimum to scrape by? Ruth responds, humbled, thankful, falling on her face, bowing to the ground. Why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me. I'm a foreigner. Let me ask, is this not the only appropriate response to the mercy and kindness that she has received from Boaz? Are you aware of the kindness and goodness and mercy that you have received as a believer? Do you know the depths and depravity of your sin? How helpless, hopeless you are? Ruth was a foreigner from Moab a couple hundred k's away, or a hundred k's away, as Josh said. We are far more than that to our Heavenly Father. We're an enemy if we are not reconciled to Him. And we are totally dependent upon His mercy. Have you acknowledged that? Have you been humbled? Have you bowed on your face and said, Lord, why have I found favor in your eyes? Why would you take notice of me, a sinner, an enemy? Brother, sister, we do this regularly. This is part of what we do every Sunday. We remind ourselves. We gather. We sing truths. We hear from God's word. We take of the Lord's Supper. We remember God's provision for us, His noticing of us. His mercy towards us. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you do not realize it, but you are just as dependent upon God for everything. Let today be the day that you honor Him before it's too late. Boaz replies to Ruth, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. 
the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth's reputation precedes her, and Boaz blesses her, asking the Lord to repay her for what she's done. Now, a couple things I want us to notice in this passage is that I think in this, in this little couple of verses, Boaz recognizes that his provision for Ruth is actually the Lord's provision for Ruth. God's love and his care for his people is often shown through his people. And I, I think we do this pretty well as a church. I think we can be encouraged how well we love one another. I have certainly experienced, and I know Paige, wherever she is, the love of God through his people. And it has been a huge blessing. And if you're visiting this morning, just trust me, we do this pretty well as a church. And I think it glorifies God as people see that. The second thing, Lord, uh, Boaz almost makes a prayer here saying, the Lord repay you for what you have done. Fortunately for Ruth, she has done the right thing. But imagine if someone said that to us. The Lord repay you for what you have done. Take an audit of your life for a second. If the Lord was to repay you, you know, as Christians, we don't believe in the, the scales thing, right? It's not that your good deeds need to outweigh your bad deeds because our bad deeds will never, never measure up to our good deeds. But in light of Christ, think about what Christ has done on our behalf. The Lord repay you for what Christ has done. And the Lord did. The Lord repaid Christ, our sin, at the cross. And the Lord repaid us Christ's righteousness, His perfect righteous life to us. Brother, sister, we have been repaid the reward of perfection for something we have not earned. Praise God for that, hey? Ruth continues, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Again, she is still amazed at the kindness she is receiving from this stranger. And then Boaz's generosity continues, come here, eat some bread, dip your morsel in the wine. So Ruth came and sat down beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied. Can you hear me? There we go. So we've gone from early morning when Ruth rose up to find favor in someone's eyes to go out and get grain to a little rest, sometime mid-morning presumably. Now we're at 
dinner time if we're having wine, I'd guess. And Ruth has just been the recipient of so much generosity and recognition from Boaz. Again, over and above the law, Ruth is able to eat her fill and have leftovers. Reminds me of the psalm, my cup overflows. So, after she's eaten, she's got some leftovers, full tummy, back to work. And Boaz instructs his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. Also, actually get some bundles out and, and leave it and just give that for her to take. Don't get upset, don't rebuke her, I've told her. So the famine's clearly gone at this point of chapter one, and Boaz is just exuding generosity. Have some leftovers, take some stuff that's already harvested. Actually, here's some stuff that's already bundled, and um, the boys won't be upset, it's fine, go nuts. So naturally, Ruth gleans all the way until evening, then she goes through those 10 steps that Josh went through. <laughs> and it was about an epaph. It was a lot of barley. <laughs> I tried to do a little bit of maths here. As Josh said, this harvest is about April or May. And so sunrise in Israel is around 5.30, 5.40 in the morning, and then it sets around 7.30 at this time of year. So 12, 14 hours of work she's put in, and, she, and she's got about 22 liters of barley, which more maths, 100-ish cups a month of food, maybe, for her and Naomi, for days of work. God has abundantly provided, abundantly provided, but, She's also worked really hard. Now, I might surprise you, the proverb, God helps those who help himself, is not in the Bible. <laughs> I remember someone telling me one time, uh, we were discussing a friend, and he's like, you know, like St. Paul says, God helps those who help himself. I'm like, I don't know if St. Paul does say that. <laughs> However, <laughs> I think this is somewhat indicative of the Christian experience, is that we, we're not a sluggard, we do work hard, we put effort in, but we trust that it's God who provides. And I think of St. Paul here, <laughs> talking about his ministry, saying that he toils, he struggles with all his energy, but it's the energy that God is working in and through him. Verse 18, Ruth gets a giant sack of barley, which is gleaned. She brought it out and took it to her mother-in-law and also brought the leftovers from lunch or dinner. And now imagine you're Naomi at this point. You sent your daughter-in-law who asked for permission to go out and she's been gone for 12, 14 hours. Hopefully she's okay and then just rocks up dragging this sack of barley, saying, I think things went well. Surely you'd be thinking, what? Who did you steal that from, Ruth? 
Did they follow you? Did they, did they see you come in here? Where were you today? Who gave you this food? Which is exactly what Naomi says to Ruth. Where were you? Who took notice? And Ruth goes, um, yeah, some guy named Bo- Boaz? The man with whom I worked today was Boaz. And then something clicks for Naomi. She says, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. This is a very, very different Naomi to the one we saw in chapter 1. And if you weren't here or don't remember, this is what she said. The Lord has gone out against me. The Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. The Lord's testified against me and brought calamity upon me. She acknowledges God's sovereignty, I guess, in a sense here, that she's not very happy. And now all of a sudden she's blessed, maybe blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. What changed in Naomi? Was it 22 liters of barley? She was angry. <laughs> Do we just need to go find anyone who's not trusting the Lord and say, hey, I got you this. How good's God? No. I mean, it couldn't hurt the try, right? No. <laughs> Initially, she acknowledges the sovereignty of God and she doesn't like it. But this time she's thankful and she speaks rightly because she sees God's good providential hand. Are you more prone to be the Naomi at the end of chapter 1 or the Naomi here at the end of chapter 2? Or are you a bit schizophrenic, oscillating back and forth between the two? Things go poorly. God hates me. Things go well. Ah, that's right. He loves me. He's good. Praise God. Well, let me remind you, brother, sister, friend, God has not forsaken you. He has not forsaken the living or the dead. Christ cried out in unbearable pain on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we would not have to. If we're a believer, Christ was forsaken on our behalf. God does love us. He does care for us. And then we get to the second half of this verse. And the most important thing is that This, this is crazy. Wait till, wait till you see this. Naomi knows who Boaz is. This whole time. What took her so long? At 20 verses ago, Ruth says, I'm going to go out. Hopefully I find favor in someone's eyes. Surely at that point, Naomi goes, oh, actually, cousin Boaz, 
super wealthy, great guy, <laughs> plenty of workers. Check out that field, lot 22 or whatever it is. <laughs> but she doesn't. Why is that? I can only conject. Is that the right word, JR? No? What's the word? Conject is like... To... No, that is right, but it doesn't have a verb form. Okay. I can only have a conjecture. <laughs> Postulate? <laughs> What's stopping Naomi? Is she afraid? Would she feel guilty asking Boaz? Is there a shame of being in need? Is she worried that Boaz might reject Ruth and, and her? And then they'll be even more hopeless than when they began? Could possibly be an ignorance of Boaz's wealth and, and character, but presumably in such a small community and such a wealthy, honourable man, they'd know something. So let me ask you. We've talked a lot about Christ this morning. Some parallels between Jesus uh, and Boaz. What stops us from seeking out our Redeemer? We have an even greater need than Naomi and Ruth. We may be a greater foreigner than Ruth ever was, but Christ is even more of a benevolent Redeemer. We can run to Christ in faith, knowing that he will not reject us. Now, Christian, brother, sister, I know you know this. But we forget so often, don't we? We forget that Christ will not reject us. We forget that he already has redeemed us. And it's not just the prospect, the hope that we might have a redeemer like Naomi had. No, we have the full-blown death, burial, resurrection secured, sealed with the Holy Spirit, redemption and provision of Christ. Why would we not go to him in our need? And we are in need daily. As we've been reminded going through Matthew 6 again, we need our daily bread. We need our sins forgiven. Do you believe that? Hugh, do you believe that? And again, if we are not a believer, whether we know it or not, we are in great, great need, in greater danger than hunger or poverty. Our sins have racked up a debt that we could never afford to pay. But Christ paid it for us. I was meant to allude to this. If you don't know what a kinsman redeemer is, there was provisions, again, in God's good law that if someone was in poverty, they could be purchased out of that poverty by a relative. And we are in poverty. And the bill is huge, but Christ is wealthy and generous. Now, I was convicted going through this of my own beliefs and actions not lining up, as I said earlier. So, so what, do you, what do you do in that? 
It's one thing to identify the issue, it's one thing to rectify it. Well, run to Christ. Cling to the gospel. Remind yourself of the gospel. Remind one another of the gospel. And again, that is what we do on Sundays, is we remind ourselves of the gospel. We remind ourselves of our need. We remind ourselves of the goodness of Christ. We sing and proclaim the goodness of Christ. We take the Lord's Supper proclaiming that gospel and reminding ourselves of his provision of his death and his blood, his body for us. The story continues. Ruth says to her mother-in-law, Boaz also said to me, stay here until the end of the harvest. And Naomi says to Ruth, that wasn't me, was it? No. Naomi says to Ruth, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest you be assaulted in another field. Naomi's response is encouraging Ruth to stay with Boaz, and it further demonstrates the goodness of God in his provision of Boaz, and again, the honorability and worthiness of this man in a time where women going out could have fear of being assaulted. And I called this final subheading a plea because I think it further demonstrates how different Naomi is in chapter 2 than chapter 1. Chapter 1, it was, things aren't going well, run. Chapter 2, she's saying, no, 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 stay here. Don't leave God's people. Don't leave his provision. It's good that the Lord has provided this. Don't make the same mistake I did by just up and running and not trusting the Lord to provide So Ruth is obedient. She kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest, and continued to live with her mother-in-law. And again, this sets us up for chapter 3 and what's going to happen there, which you might have to wait another six months or so for, if we're lucky. But as Josh said, we're not living in Israel. Most of us aren't... Moabite women who have been widowed. Some of us might be. <laughs> We're not scrunching around to try and find food. And if you are, let us know because we have heaps in the fridge today. But we are still God's people. We are still in a universe that is meticul meticulously orchestrated under the sovereign hand of God. And we receive God's favor and mercy to us through his people, but specifically through his servant, Christ. This is a beautiful story of God's provision and mercy for his people through his people to the praise of his glory. We are God's people who have received his provision for the praise of his glory. Should our lives, like Ruth, not just testify to the goodness of God in light of the gospel? As Josh said before, I take the later 
writing of this. I think this was written to Israel while they were in exile. Again, the events happened in the times of the judges, but it was written and disseminated with God's people living in a foreign land going, what has gone wrong? Why are we here? Our land's been pilfered. We're sitting under the oppressive rule in Babylon. Where is God? And we're meant to be reminded reading this, they were meant to be reminded that God's still in control. He still has a plan. He's still working out his purposes. And Joshua alluded, at the end of the book, we find out that Ruth is King David's grandmother. Grandmother? Great-grandmother. Great-grandmother. Thanks, Josh. God took a nobody widow in Moab and used her in his providence to bring about the great Davidic king. And ultimately, our great king, David's great-great-great-great-grandson, Christ. Israel were meant to be reminded in this story, reading from exile, that God has not dropped the ball. He still cares. You can trust him. And I want you to be reminded, God cares. You can trust him. All who come in faith will not be turned away. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you that even the speck of dust suspended in a ray of sunlight is there by your divine providence. We thank you that you know the number of the hairs on our head. We thank you that not a single bird drops out of the air without your hand. And God, we thank you that you are just not not just in control, but that you are good and you are merciful. We thank you that you have provided all of our needs and then some in Christ. God, would our hearts be a true reflection of the goodness and kindness that you have shown us? Would we bow down in worship and thankfulness saying, why would you take notice of me? And yet, God, we thank you that before the foundation of the world, you have called us and drawn us to yourself, that we might be made holy and righteous. God, I pray for anyone who does not know these truths, who does not hold these truths, that you would, in your sovereign hand, grab their hearts and pull them to yourself that they would see their need, their poverty, and they would see your willingness to provide. God, would you make us more like you for the praise of your glorious grace. In Jesus' name, amen.